That's good. So you guys ready for the return of the king? Yes. <laughs> Today be okay day. You know, I told him, told the Lord, it's, it's nice to live through the things you study. So studying the return of Jesus Christ be kind of a cool day for him to come on back. It'll be all right. Open up in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 19. And we'll take a look at what the Lord has for us. Beginning in verse 11, we'll work our way from 11 to 21, end of the chapter tonight. It says, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. In righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes like the flame of fire, and on his head many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. When the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come gather for the great supper of God, to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, the flesh of all men, both free and slaves, small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he had deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. And these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Let's pray. Father God, we uh, thank you, Lord God, as we come to the second uh, contrast between the marriage supper of the Lamb and the great supper of our great God. Lord, we As we look at this, Lord, we can recognize, God, the illustration that you're giving. That there's life in you. But outside of that, there is only judgment. God, I pray that we would come to know and realize that truth, that there is glory when we serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There's peace. There is fullness of joy in your presence the strength to do and to be who you're asking us to be god everything that we need everything we lack is found in that place god i pray that we would be men and women who choose the marriage supper of the lamb god i pray that we recognize the truth of your word as you declare any not willing to come to the marriage supper will be at the supper of the great God. Lord, we pray that your word would ignite within us 
a fire, God, that would lead us to move, be, accomplish the things, God, that you by your Spirit are asking us to do. And Lord, that you would bless this time with your presence as we look to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. When we come here, the first thing we see in this section of Scripture is a description of Jesus Christ. Now, this is different than Jesus meek and mild. Uh, It's still Jesus meek, but there's nothing mild about Jesus when he comes, when he returns. He came as the lamb, now he comes as the lion. So the lion is returning, the king is coming back. And I don't know, guys... I mean, come on, we, we're greeted this morning on the news with more craziness, no? And I, it's regardless of, of political affiliations, none of that stuff really matters to me. I, I don't care about any of that stuff. What I do see is the depravity in the heart of man and man's willingness to sow hate and discord. You have a whole, you know, no matter what side of, of the argument you may be on, you have a whole group of people that do nothing all night but incite one side or the other. If you just pick your poison, it don't matter. There's a channel for both of you. And both are incited until, and it's all fun and games, right? Now what they say, it's all fun and games till what? So somebody, yeah, so somebody, so somebody is finally fed, so fed up that he feels like his only option is to go kill somebody. And then ultimately, suicide by cop, I guess, or... Or maybe he just thought he could win. I don't know. But he didn't win. So he's in eternity now. The shooter. And all of that is... All of it is in opposition to God. Because you're going to see enemies on this day become pals. The Bible told us that the kings of the east are going to come to make war against the, the beast. They're coming to fight the beast. And they all gather in the same place. And around that time, Christ returns. And what do they all do? It says, the the beast and the armies of the beast all do battle with the lion of the tribe of Judah and with his army. Because everybody can get behind hating Jesus, can't they? Didn't we learn that when he came the first time? You know, Herod and Pilate weren't pals. They didn't hang out all the time. But the Bible tells us, the gospel accounts tell us, that from that day forward they were friends. What were they united by? The hatred of Christ. Or at best, their dealings with Him. So, when we come to this, we want to see this description of Jesus, the lion. The lion, and we really see it stand out. First thing we're going to look at is His name. So we're going to look at a few of the verses right now. In Revelation 19.11, Then I saw a door open. Behold, the white horse. Now, we've seen a white horse before, right? In, in Revelation chapter 6. Sometimes when you got time, you go look and see if these two things look the same. Other than them both being on a white horse, that's the only similarity that I can find. One has a, a bow promising peace, some kind of a, a peace plan. This one's not coming for peace. It says, on him, the one sitting on him is called faithful and true. And what is his purpose? Next phrase, to do what? Judge and make war. So he's not coming with peace, is he? No peace here. This is, hey, this is it. He's coming to what? Establish his kingdom to take his throne. 
rulership of the world, the place that he created. It's his to take that back. So what do we see first? We see the reliability of his name. I want you to look. What is the one sitting on him called? Two words, what? Faithful and true. Faithful and true. So what do we know? He's reliable. He's faithful. Trustworthy. That's another word for faithful. Here's another one that you're going to want to hold on to. Loyal. He's loyal. He's true. We talked about it on Sunday. Hosea chapter 6, 4 through 6, talks about the fact that God wants our loyal love. The biggest, the biggest crime we can commit against the God of the universe is unfaithfulness, idolatry. What, what, are, what are we going to see? The judgment of those who worship who? The beast, right? The beast. Those who worshiped other than the true and holy God. So we see he's reliable. He's true. I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? Jesus Christ. He is true. He is faithful. He is loyal. But look what else we're going to see. We're going to see something else special about this name. His eyes are like a flame of fire. On his head, many diadems. And he has a name written. What's the next phrase? No one knows but himself. We could spend probably all of eternity wanting to, to probe the depths of what is Yahweh, who he is, the attributes of God. I, I taught a course on the attributes of God and melted people's minds in uh, school and ministry. I know I melted their minds because the next time we got together, there was two of us left. So I know I, I melted brains, but there's so much depth. There's so much there. Here the Bible declares to us that, that he has a name written, a name written on him no one knows but himself. There are things about God. Whenever we talk about the name of God or the names of God, what are they all about? They're all about his attributes, his character. Who is he? I mean, we, 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 we see the revelation of God from Genesis all the way through the Old Testament into the New, but that, that, that revelation is not finished really until christ right when when according to hebrews chapter one he said he said everything he had to say through jesus his son about who he is he told yahweh i am who i am so tell them i am has sent you which demands the question i am what and the rest of the old testament is god proclaiming to his people who he is and then we come to the New Testament and we get a fuller revelation as Jesus Christ in the Gospel of John tells us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the door. He goes through giving us that fuller revelation of, of who God is. And we talk about the names of God. That's what we're looking at. God's attributes. God's character. There's things about God we don't know yet. Can you imagine such a thing? I hope you can. Isaiah 55 tells us that he is higher than us. His ways higher than our ways. His thoughts higher than our thoughts. Another way to say that is God's transcendent. God is holy other. He's something other than anything we've ever experienced. And so here, a name. A name written, no one knows but himself. But then look, there's a revelation of his name in verse 13. He is, he is clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, 
And the name by which he is called is, one of my favorite verses, the Word of God. John 1.1 1, 1 reminds you of anything like that? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was face to face with God. And the Word was God. That's literal. The Word of God. Jesus, God the Son, the Word of God. He is the emanation of of God's revelation. He is the reality of God's revelation. That's why this is called the revelation of Jesus Christ. Because that's how we know God through Jesus Christ. That's the revelation. In the Old Testament, we saw this same revelation through the humanity of God. The the Son of God. Or let me put it to you this way. Ezekiel the prophet, whenever God came to him, you know what the word says? The word of God came to me. Now, most of the time we think about that like, oh, that just means a thought entered my mind. Well, when's the last time a thought touched you? When's the last time a thought picked you up? Because he says that. The Word of God came to me, lifted me up. The Word of God. What, what does the Bible declare here? Jesus' name is what? The Word of God. John 1.1, 1, 1, what did it say Jesus' name was? The Word of God. And the Word did what? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us and declared to us the glory of God. So we're seeing the whole world is experiencing the revelation of Jesus Christ right here. No more questions. No more debates. Jesus is here. The Bible says every eye will see Him. Every eye is going to see Him. Every tongue confess yeah every eye every tongue they're going to look they're going to see this name written on him and he is called the word of god now i just want one more thing about his name i want you to look at verse 16 and we'll uh, we'll come back to that in a moment but on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written what is this one king of kings and lord of lords romans 10 9 and 10 if you confess the lord jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What does it mean to confess? Homo legeo. What did it mean to confess that Jesus was Lord? Well, let's just go back to that time. We're reading Romans. So in the time of Romans, what did it mean to declare Caesar was Lord? What did that mean? He was what? He's God. What else was he? It's your king. What else is he? Your sovereign. He's your everything. So when Paul says, when we confess the Lord Jesus, is he saying something different? Isn't that the context? Confess that Jesus is Lord. Believe that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. He's royalty. King of kings, right? He's over all the kings. Lord of lords. Is there any name under heaven by which men can be named that is higher than the name of Jesus. The Bible declares his name is above every name that is named. That's a high name, right? Every name that is named. So we see the royalty, the revelation, the reliability of his name. Listen to how his nature describes him. Listen to how his nature is laid out for us. When we look at these names, when we understand the names, the one sitting on him is faithful and true, 
And in righteousness he judges, right? In righteousness. What's one of his attributes? Righteousness. Is God right? All the time? Only most of the time. So the Bible would declare that he is right all the time, right? In Revelation 19.11 it says, Then I saw heaven open, a white horse, the one sitting on it, faithful and true and in righteousness. He's right when he judges and makes war. Revelation 15.3 It says, And they sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways. O King of the nations, just and true, God's always right. Verse 2 of chapter 19 in Revelation, For His judgments are true and just. He is right in all that He does. Psalm 96.13 says, Before the Lord, for He comes, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness. He'll judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His faithfulness. Psalm 98.9, before the Lord, he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world, how? With righteousness. And the peoples with equity. Same concept. What about Isaiah 11.4 and 5? But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips. He will kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist faithfulness the belt of his loins what is it telling us about it's telling about the reality that god is right in what he does he is right what else what else is it telling us he's aware of what's going on what did it say in verse 12 his eyes are like a flame of fire right the idea is they pierce right through you like a burning light going through us his eyes are a flame of fire what's it talking about he knows what's going on Can we pull the wool over God's eyes? Can we fake him out? Can we trick him? Can I deceive him? Can I do something in such a way that would would enable him to be, be fooled by what I'm doing? The scripture tells us he knows what's going on. In Revelation 1.14 it says, The hair of his head is white, white like wool, like snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. Flame of fire piercing through. Revelation 2.18. To the angel of the church of Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire burning right through us. What is that all about? Hebrews 4.13 puts it together for us. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So he's righteous, and he sees it all. He knows it all. He comprehends it all. He is all-knowing. He is aware of all of these things. And then also in verse 12, what's on his head? On his head are many diadems, diademata, diademata, multiple crowns. He's wearing multiple royal crowns on his head. What does that mean? He has authority. What did Jesus say? How much authority did Jesus say he had? He said, all authority has been given to me, where? In heaven and on earth. So is there any other? That's it, right? The heavens and the earth. He has all authority. So we see his authority in the crowns 
that are on his head. Now in verse 14, we, we're introduced to his armies, right? Look at his armies. It says, In the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. Now this is not typically how angels are described. It doesn't usually talk about the things that angels are wearing. But there is a group that consistently speaks of them wearing fine linen, white and pure. If you remember in Matthew chapter 22, we saw a parable about the wedding feast. Do you remember? And the king was inviting people to the marriage supper and nobody wanted to come. It's very unpopular to go to this particular king's wedding feast. So eventually, the king sends invitations everywhere. Highway, byway, good, bad, rich, poor, whomever will come. And they all come, and they come to the wedding feast. But when he, the king is walking through his wedding feast, he finds someone who's not wearing what? White raiment. He's not wearing the white linen of the marriage supper. And the king asks him, what? it was provided him, right? He had to walk right by it to get in. So to get in and not put it on, he didn't want it. There's only one way to come to the marriage supper, and that's clothed in Jesus Christ, right? Wearing that which is pure and white. So when we look at Revelation 19.14, we see his army arrayed in white linen. I think it's a church. I think it's the church, the saints with him, coming with him. He don't need us for much. We're just there to fill up the space in the sky. He'll do the rest. But his army, clothed in white. Now here's why. Let's take a look at a few scriptures so we can hopefully see it. In Revelation 19, verse 8, just look up a little bit. It says, it was granted to her, the bride, right? The marriage supper of the Lamb. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. The righteous deeds of the saints. In, Re- in Daniel 12, 1 through 3, it says, And at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never has been since there was a nation until that time. But at that time, your people will be delivered. Everyone whose name is found written in the book of life. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. Some to everlasting life. And some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever. Sounds like white raiment to me. Matthew twenty five thirty one says, When the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. He's coming to set up his throne, the church following behind his armies. Among the armies, I'm not saying angels aren't there. Obviously, the heavens are filled, right? An innumerable host of angels and an innumerable cloud of witnesses together with the Lord. But the next thing we see in verse 15 is his anger. His anger, not just his army. Look at verse 15. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron and he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God 
the Almighty. So he's coming, not in peace, but in war. The first thing we see, there's three things we see he's going to do with the nations. He's going to strike the nations. He's going to rule the nations. And he's going to, for lack of a better term, stop the nations. Well, let's take a look at what it says. As, it, as, it, let's, as, we, as we look at this, back up to verse 13, it says he's clothed in a robe. What's, what's significant about the robe? It's dipped in what? Blood. Now, a lot of people think that this is his blood from the cross. That it's his own blood through which he uh, has redeemed mankind. Uh, my only problem with that idea is the rest of the prophetic scripture that talks about the treading of the winepress of the wrath of God. It has a different idea for where that blood comes from. In Revelation 1.13, it tells us about this robe that Jesus is wearing. In the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. Now, there's no blood on that. And that's Jesus walking through the midst of the churches, right? Okay, then we come to Isaiah 63, 1 through 6, which is the precursor. This is the, the prophetic view from Isaiah of this day. He says, Who is this who comes from Edom in crimsoned garments? So the garments are red from Basra. He who is splendid in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. It is I, speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. Now, who in the world could say that? It's not going to be us. Not you or me. Certainly isn't Isaiah the prophet. It's not going to be Ezekiel or Elijah or Elisha. Not too many people I know are walking around in their own righteousness proclaiming that they are mighty to save. Right? So this is, this is a picture of the Lord. He says, why is your apparel red? Your garments are like the ones of those who tread the winepress. He's not talking about you have a red robe on. He has a white robe on, but he looks like he's been treading the grapes. So what's stained all over the robe? Just like if you were stomping on red grapes, right? The, the grape stains are all over, this, all over this robe. So what does it say? He says, why is it red? Why are you red? Why are your garments like those who tread the winepress? Look at verse 3. I have trodden the wine press. What's the next word? Alone. He don't need nobody's help. Last I checked, God is able. He tread the wine press alone. And from the peoples, no one was with me. He says, I trod them in my anger. I trampled them in my wrath. And their lifeblood splattered on my garments. And stained all my apparel. Why? Look at the next. He answers that question in verse 4. For the day of vengeance was in my heart. My year of redemption had come. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled, but there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought me salvation. My wrath upheld me. I trampled down the peoples in my anger. I made them drunk in my wrath. And I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. Jesus trampling the grapes of wrath. The armies arrayed against him. He returns, sets down in Basra, 
walks his way from Basra through the Jezreel Valley all the way to the Mount of Olives. And all along the way, he's taken apart the armies of the enemy until he arrives at the Mount of Olives where the mountain splits between his feet and the water flows through to heal the land. Jesus is coming home, setting up his kingdom. So what do we see? What, what's, what's the response of the nations going to be? Psalm 2.9, he says, He will break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Read Psalm 2. It's all about the Lord laughing at the nations who array themselves in war against him. Isaiah 11.4, With righteousness he will judge the poor, decide with, with equity the meek of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and the breath of his lips he will kill the wicked. God doesn't need to hold. Where does the Bible say the sword comes from? From his mouth. What does that mean? It's just the word. What did, what, in creation, what did God have to do to create? Speak. Let there be. So what's he got to do to end it? Remember when Herod thought he was all that, dressed up like a god? He gave a speech and the people said, Oh, it's the voice of a god and not a man, you remember? And God judged him. You don't see no sword come through. Angel doesn't fly down and cut him down. He just dies. The Bible says worms ate him from the inside out. He just dies. Because in whom is the breath of life? Is it in you and me? No, it's in God, right? He holds the breath. What happens if God just lets go? Then the breath just goes away, right? He doesn't need to pick up a sword. He doesn't need to swing it. He just needs to speak. And it's over. It's that quick. It's not a battle. It's not really a great battle that takes place. But it talks about this idea of him ruling them. The idea is he's going to be a shepherd over the nations. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not. He gives me everything I need, right? I have everything I need is in him. But how did the shepherd lead the sheep? What does he use? Rod, doesn't he? Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. It's a comfort to me. But if I'm a rebellious sheep, what do you think it is? You know, the belt holds my britches up. But when my boys were disobedient, the belt had a whole other meaning to them. Right? So for those who, for whom the Lord is shepherd, hey, no, we're not afraid of the rod. God corrects those he loves. But for the rebellious, rod's a whole different matter, right? He's going to shepherd the nations. He's going to watch over those nations. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4.21, What do you want? Talking to the church at Corinth. Shall I come to you with a rod or in love with a spirit of gentleness? So my dad used to tell me the same thing. Right? Son, you want a whooping or do you want to get in line? I want to get in line. I only think I ever said one time, I want a whooping. Then I realized my smart mouth was not getting me ahead in life, right? I, I, I changed my tune. Changed my tune. So he's going to shepherd the nations. Revelation 12.5. Listen to what it says. Revelation 12.5. 
She, the nation of Israel, gave birth to the male child who is to rule all the nations. How? A rod of iron. What does that mean? It's not necessarily the picture of the rod is heavy and hard with which to thump you on the head, but that a rod of iron don't bend. It's just either right or wrong. Right? There's, there's no shadow of turning. There's no shadow with God. White. Light. Period. Period. That rod is straight as an arrow. So if God's guiding us with that rod, we don't have to worry. We, for those of us led by it, it's no problem. For those of us who want to rebel against it, you're not bending that rod. That rod's not going to move. You will either fall before the stone, which was rejected, and be broken, or the stone will fall on you, and you will be smashed to dust, just like Nebuchadnezzar's dream. One or the other. Joel 3.13 lays out this idea of this judgment. This is where we get the idea that he stomps the nations. The nations in rebellion against God are part of the harvest of the sickles. We read about it. And Joel 3.13 says, Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread, for the winepress is full. The, the vats overflow, for their evil is great. Always, when it talks about treading the winepress, it's always language of judgment, and it's always language of, of God bringing that. Their wickedness is full, and it's time. It's time. The Lord has gone as far as he can go. In Revelation 14, you may remember this when we talked about the two harvests. It says, I looked and behold a white cloud and seated on the cloud, one like the Son of Man, a golden crown on his head, a sharp sickle in his hand. Another angel came out of the temple calling with a loud voice, said, put in your sickle and reap. For the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple in heaven, had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over fire. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Put in your sickle, gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung its sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. The winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle, 1,600 stadia, 180-some miles. It's along roughly the length of the Jezreel Valley, also known as Armageddon, the plains of Megiddo, so we see this judgment coming. Jesus Christ, he's come in righteousness and truth. He judges and makes war. This is it. This is the last day. Here he comes to set up his kingdom. Now look at the destruction that comes. Here we see the, the culmination of the contrast between the two feasts. Remember the marriage supper of the Lamb? What do we have here? The supper of the great God. Remember one I said you get to eat and the other one you are the meal? Look what it says. It says, I saw an angel standing in the sun with a loud voice. He called to all the birds that fly directly overhead. Come and gather for the great supper of our God. 
to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, the flesh of all men, free and slave, small and great. So the angel, standing in the sun, makes a proclamation to all the birds. And why do the birds come? To eat the dead. To eat the dead of those. The final position, guys, of, of those in rebellion against God. Don't miss this. The final position for those in rebellion against God is death. That's it. That's where that road goes. Rebel against God, it leads to death. Period. Not most of the time, not some of the times, all the time. It goes to death. And that's ultimately what we see. Matthew 24, 27 and 28 says this, For as lightning comes from the east, shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Remember, when he comes back, he's coming back. The lion has come. Now he comes in righteousness and truth to judge and make war. And the result is a, a tragic loss and ultimate judgment. As each and every one falls before the Son of Man. In Ezekiel 39 it says, As for you, Son of Man, thus says the Lord God, Speak to the birds of every sort, to all the beasts of the field. Assemble and come, gather from all around to the sacrificial feast that I am preparing for you. A great sacrificial feast on the mountains of Israel. And you shall eat flesh and drink blood. You shall eat the flesh of the mighty, drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams, of lambs, he goats, bulls, all of them, fat beasts of Bashan. Bashan, by the way, is always a synonymous uh, term or illustration uh, that points toward demons, uh, the, the enemies of God. You shall... Eat fat till you are filled, drink blood till you are drunk at the sacrificial feast that I am preparing for you. You will be filled at my table with horses and charioteers, with mighty men, all kinds of warriors, declares the Lord God. And I will set my glory among the nations, and all the nations will see my judgment that I have executed in my hand that I have laid on them. The house of Israel shall know I am the Lord their God from that day forward. There will be nobody on earth who won't know who's in charge. After Jesus sets his throne. They all know. As the word declared, the Lord said, The day of redemption had come. The day of redemption had come. He speaks of it in the past tense. The day of judgment is come. The Lord looked and he was sorrowful that there were, there were none with him. He's going to save by his own arm. What is he talking about? He's, he's looking around and he's thinking, the day of redemption came. Why are all you arrayed against me? I provided blood, the sacrifice, so that you could have a right relationship with God. And here you are, rather than taking that, you want to go to war against me. And all I have to do is speak and you melt right where you're standing. foolishness of men in rebellion against God the beasts of the air come they gather for the supper of the great God the final battle of the tribulation period look at verse 19 and I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army well, they're ready 
They want to go to war. They're there. The one thing they all have in common is they hate God more than anything else. Kind of funny how much that view is prevalent in our world today. Hatred of God, hatred of the truth. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5 says, This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also are suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. Final battle is wrapping up. Verse 20. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. Remember the one thing, the betrayal, or what the Bible calls in Leviticus chapter 26, treason. That's idolatry. To worship another god. To love something else more. To set your affection on some other thing that God has provided. God calls it treason. Betrayal. Here for them, they were they, the, the beast and the false prophet who in his presence had done the signs by which he had deceived those and received the mark of the beast, those who worshipped his image. They were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. We're going to see them a thousand years from now, from this verse. And they're still there. So they didn't cease to exist. They're still in that place of judgment. The Bible calls the lake of fire. Why? Why is the beast and the false prophet cast there? They're responsible for the deception of the whole world. To bring about the betrayal of God in the what the Bible calls the earth dwellers, those who love the earth, but not the giver of the earth. What's the result? It becomes a reminder. This is the final resting place of all unbelievers. Now, maybe that makes Bernie Sanders mad. I don't know. I don't know if you guys saw that the deal with Bernie Sanders. He's he is questioning somebody i don't know any of the story okay all i know is he's questioning somebody trump put up for something and the guy's a christian and he had written a paper that people who worship allah who follow islam are condemned and not saved and bernie sanders now i'm going to paraphrase i'm not not quoting him you have to look it up it's all over youtube knock yourself out bernie sanders basically says we don't need people like you in this country. Wow. The guy's just being consistent with his worldview. If you don't receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that's where you go. That's the whole point of being a Christian, right? 
we're consistent with what the Bible teaches. Here's what the Bible teaches. There's life in Christ. Nobody's demanding that you choose the other. Nobody's saying you have to. What we're saying is there's life in Christ. Choose Christ. But if you choose something else, there's no life in that. That's a loving statement, by the way. A statement that says, oh, do whatever you want. That's not love. In fact, the Bible says that a parent or a civil magistrate who won't punish evil is in and of themselves evil. Has no love in them. So it should be a desire for the truth, a love for the truth. This is the truth. Now what's the consequence for the nations? Last verse. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him sitting on the horse. And all the birds gorged on their flesh. The point? Everybody in that battle is going to die. Every one of them. There's not going to be some guy who gets a couple wax in. They're all going to melt right in that valley as Jesus walks through it on his way to Jerusalem to take his throne. And nobody has to be there. Because Matthew 22 says, the invitations went out to everyone. Inviting them all to the marriage supper of the Lamb. That was the one we read about last week. You remember? Contrast between two suppers. Contrast between life and death. Light and darkness. But John had it right when he said, this is the condemnation of the world. That light came. But men loved the darkness rather than the light. Because their deeds are evil. The Bible's full of this phrase. Choose this day. Who will you serve? As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Amen? Won't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to to come together, the opportunity to study your word, Lord, to look at what your word declares. God, I pray, Lord, that we might have a full understanding, Lord, of the, the contrast that you lay out for us. God, that we don't have to. We don't have to be in a place, God, where we say, well, I had no choice. I, I have to be here in this place of judgment. Because I know Jesus told the parable, he said, the invitation went everywhere. He invited his own people, and they said, we're too busy. We don't want to come. we got too much going on. So the king sent the invitations out on the highways and byways to everyone, good and bad. only thing necessary to come to the marriage supper of the Lamb is to put on the righteousness of Christ. According to Ephesians chapter 1, we do that when we hear the gospel and we believe. According to Romans 10, 9 and 10, that happens when we confess the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart. God raised him from the dead. The word of God declares that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord Whosoever is drowning, falling beneath the waves, going down for the last time, and raises his hand toward heaven and calls to God for salvation, the Lord says, I will save him. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
God, I pray that you would equip us in this rebellious generation, surrounded by men and women of power and without power, in rebellion against you, a hatred of God for a variety of reasons, Lord. But God, you hold the the secret, the key to penetrating the hardness of heart and changing it. God, you said in Isaiah 55, your word will accomplish what it's sent to do. So if we share your word, even with the hard-hearted who don't seem to listen at all, but we get some of the word in there, God, your word will accomplish what it's intended to do. For you, Lord God, are the only one who can soften the heart. You, Lord God, are the one who can open the eyes, the ears. And you choose to do it, God, for better or for worse through us. Through the message preached to those willing to share your word to whosoever will hear. So, God, I pray, Lord, that there would be a harvest of salvation from now until the time you call us home so that the supper of the great God is not filled with so many souls. God, we pray that you would pour out your spirit of grace and equip your body to do the work you're asking us to do. That we would go into all the world and make disciples. So God, be glorified in this place as we recognize it is all about you, by you, for you, and through you. May we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.